This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. God, I know we're in the middle of coitus, but I'm just, I'm getting a phone call right now, so. Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacy's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season seven, episode 14 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Farewell, My Pet. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, First Date. You thought this episode title was going to be about Lorelai and Christopher breaking up. Yeah, I've been uh, really striking out on what I think the episode titles refer to. I should just always remember that they don't matter. They're always related to a throwaway line. I mean, it could also be about that, but I think it's about Michelle's dog. I agree. Well, I mean, I guess it could be both. Yeah. I also thought maybe there's something with, like, teacher's pet with Rory. Mm. We did almost begin this episode with an outtake. I guess we could maybe put that here if they're interested. An out, like an intake at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I just put a grape in my mouth. You knew your line was coming I up. I thought it might be you when I'd have time to eat one grape. <laughs> keep this in. This is the first thing. I can't leave this in. <laughs> can't just open with... We're opening, guys. Uh, we are having some delicious cotton candy grapes. They are so good. They're very good. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. Are we don't leaving that in? you fucking tell me <laughs> you have a grape in your mouth? No, I was just trying to decide if we're leaving that in. If you like outtakes, subscribe to our Patreon for our lowest tier. You can get a monthly outtakes reel of this kind of gold standard content. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of Brian saying the wrong thing, occasional New York noise, which sometimes we just keep in anyway. Speaking of which, a lot of you have addressed the random noise that we left in a couple <laughs> episodes ago. I'm like, are you an eight-year-old? Like, what, are you? Okay. Okay. Just a New York thing. Someone specifically pointed out that it sounded like Godzilla. <laughs> We were just like, eh, it's a New York thing. <laughs> Moved on. Godzilla attacks all the time here. It was a scooter, I'm guessing. Or like a little motorcycle. I don't know. People like to go zooming around the neighborhood obnoxiously with those kind of things. And I think yeah. that's what it was. I literally went to go listen to it when one of you commented just to like see if I could figure out what it was. And it happened in real life as I was listening to the podcast clip. So it's very common. It's not Godzilla. Don't worry. I'm sorry if it scared some of you. But it was loud. Also, I've mentioned this maybe last week or the week before. There's recently a way with our podcast hosting site, Buzzsprout, where you can subscribe to the podcast and become a monthly supporter. Basically, it's like Patreon without the benefits. I think there is a way to set up benefits, but I haven't really dove that much into it yet. But if you're someone that doesn't want to deal with Patreon, doesn't really care about benefits, but does want to support the podcast, there's a link in our episode description and social media bios. You can give a monthly donation starting with $3 if that's something you want to do. No pressure. It's just an option that I thought I'd let you know about. Yeah, just another option. I'll look into how to tie benefits to it. Maybe I could like post our outtake reels via that. For the future. But again, if you do want outtake reels and like a little three minute teaser of next week's episode every Tuesday or Wednesday, you can subscribe to our Patreon for $3 a month. 
Also, a few of you lately have been asking if we're going to be reviewing Angel, and maybe you just haven't caught up in the podcast to where we have said that we are. But if that's true, you're definitely way behind this. So just a reminder, if you may have missed it, we are reviewing Angel on our Patreon. We've been watching since season four. We do a little weekly video recap. That's on our $5 Patreon tier. Again, just options. If you want to support the podcast slash get content, there are options. There are so many options. I should start making an official suggestion box for our next project. We think we know what we want to do, but I will accept suggestions. But I didn't even show this to you yet, Brian. Someone sent okay. a like photoshopped image of Lorelai and Rory from A Year in the Life sitting on their couch next to some characters from Firefly. And with the mm. graphic Firefly in the Life. And they're like, this is my <laughs> official pitch for your next project. That's funny. Firefly is good. So we are only accepting pitches if you Photoshop the artwork for us. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have to be good. In fact, it would be best if it was bad. Come up with the title. Do the legwork for us. We came up with Boy Meets Balls. What have you got? <laughs> yeah, what do you got? <laughs> Can you beat Boy Meets Balls? No way. I haven't made the artwork for that yet, but it's coming. So, Stacy, do we have any five-star reviews? Oh, so many. Oh. People are going crazy with their five-star reviews lately. We keep asking them to give them, and they just keep leaving them. I'm happy with that outcome. We got a shout-out on Instagram from Mag77. Thank you. We got some five-star reviews on Facebook. So thank you to Anna Karen Romero. Thank you. And Islet Tall Kaplan from Israel. Thank you. Who would like us to shout out her brother, Yuval. What's up, Yuval? Yuval is on season two, so won't be hearing this for a while. And Islet thought it might be fun for him to come across this much later. Oh, yeah. So, hello. On Spotify, we got some reviews from Charlie Casper. Thank you. Also on Spotify, thank you to, it's not a name, but it's two emojis. I'm going to go with bunny honey. It looks like a rabbit and some honey. I'm just going to read this one because I think it has some sarcasm. It's hard to find podcasters that aren't working blue. In a sea of audio smut, I'm so thankful for your wholesome content. Okay, yeah, this is a joke. <laughs> Vampire biology has never been more family friendly. <laughs> That's funny. They're joking because we're dirty. Or we're just like huge prudes and don't realize how dirty the rest of the world is. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. And from Apple Podcasts, thank you so much to our U.S. listeners, Myrtle Turt, Natalie Manda, Mitchavision Photography, and Pepper the Gang Gang. Thank you. And from Canada, thank you to CanMikey77. Thank you. All the way from Canada. It's really not that far, depending on which part. No, you've already named way farther people. <laughs> Can Mikey specifically... Wait, Can Mikey? Is that like Canada Mikey? Is it, that what It that... could be. Okay. But Can Mikey specifically commented on our... Like I would be a Mayor Brian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. A Mayor Brian and a Mayor Stacy uh, would like to hear what Can Mikey has to say. <laughs> Can Mikey specifically... I mean, the name of the review was Wave of Babies, which mm. if you missed it, you probably... You should have, because it's a very niche reference that we made a couple episodes ago, which is reference to Teen Girl Squad, which was a strong, bad cartoon. And I think I specifically said that was for four people, and I think three of you have reached out, so we're still waiting on the fourth. <laughs> but for those of you who got it, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Let's get on to shows. Let's get on to shows. This week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us all about Farewell, My Pet. Okay, so this is uh, kind of a pivotal episode, huge plot episode, and a crazy sad episode. It's the episode, I mean, I think we all thought this was going to happen at some point, where Christopher and Lorelai 
find out that Michelle's dog died. Mm. And it is devastating for everyone. After this dog dies, Lorelai and Christopher can't even imagine being happy together anymore because they remind each other of the dog. So they just end their relationship. It's it's so sad. Does Christopher even know about the dog? Maybe at the very end he does. I mean, he feels it. The dog mm-hmm. is so beautiful. So this episode actually picks up a couple days after Richard's surgery. Richard is doing great. If you guys remember, he had heart surgery. Everyone is with him for his daily power walk around the recovery ring. This is a real thing they do in the hospitals where as people recuperate, they encourage them to walk around. I did this after my spleen exploded. Oh. This scene is really great. I like it a lot. It's really well choreographed. Yeah, a lot of it's one take. Yeah. And the set must be circular because they walk in a circle around the set, the hospital wing. And they're walking Wizard of Oz style, you know, like four across, which probably is super obnoxious in this super crowded hospital, but it's for a shot. It's the worst when people do that in New York. No, oh, yeah, I just hate them. But it's really well choreographed. As they walk, we see hospital staff, you know, like going about their business around them and behind them. And it looks, it looks pretty real. Uh, but also, it's just like a fun scene. It's sweet. Lorelai and Rory are encouraging their father. And Richard is actually even playing along when Lorelai mock interviews him about his, like, steroid use and his power walking. That was so cute. Yeah. He did, like, he, little character voice. Yeah, and it's he's having fun. And Emily is, like, appalled that Richard would do any kind of improv. And she's like, don't encourage them. But it, it's a really sweet scene when Richard plays along with his daughter. But then, even though Emily was against that, she is very interested in the gossip of an older female patient that's dating, like, a 32 years younger man. By the way, small thing, Rory has her hands in her pockets constantly in this episode. Maybe she's done this throughout the series, but, like, they're just in her pockets a lot. But the thing is, is that it's super unnatural because her pockets are very, very small. Mm, It's mm -hmm. very forced. Like, she can barely get, like, the tips of her fingers into those little pocket slits. It just puts her on her shoulders in this like permanent like shrug, which I guess is like Rory's character right now. I don't know. It was it's weird. This didn't bother me, but I, I love a pocket, especially on a dress. Well, she doesn't have a dress. Dress pockets are bigger and lower. That's true. I know. Women love pockets. It's one of the things they learned in um Women Are from Venus school. That's where I went. One of my friends from college, her wedding dress had pockets. It was great. Yeah. All of us put stuff in them now. <laughs> it's just really funny. Plot point, Richard reminds Rory he wants a full report on the TA who's covering for him and teaching his economics class. Rory really wants to be there for her grandpa while he recovers, and also for Lorelai. And Rory's actually annoyed that Christopher has been, like, ghosting Lorelai. Lorelai tells Rory that everything will be fine, Christopher and her will reconcile and fix everything, so Rory should just feel comfortable going back to school, and obviously Rich is doing well. Later, Lorelai arrives at the inn in total boss mode. She walks into the inn, just starts giving orders. But Lorelai also has this, like, new employee we've never seen before that's, like, a chill discount Paris. Yeah, who is this woman that got lines in this episode that we'll probably never see again? Yeah, she seems like a wedding planner or, like, second in command. I'm like, isn't Michelle this person? Here's, okay, I bet this is why. Because Michelle has an issue in this episode, which we'll get to in a moment. Yes. And yes. Lorelai's been gone for a while. So, yes, realistically, Michelle probably would have stepped up for Lorelai in her absence. Yeah. But it would have been weird for her to come back in and be like, give me the lowdown on what's been going on here. Michelle, whose issue we're going to be introduced to in a second. You know what I mean? Like, But we're introducing a brand new character we've never seen before who seems to like kind of run stuff at the end. 
Like, are we supposed to know this person? Is she like a ball of key energy? We're going to find out. <laughs> I get why it couldn't be Michelle, but like maybe it could have been Suki or something doing these lines. Suki is there, reminds us that she's pregnant and that her fetus really loves cauliflower and spicy stuff. Is it weird that I called it a fetus? I mean, that's what it is. It's a fetus, okay? Fetus isn't a bad word. <laughs> all right, and all you people out there upset that I said fetus, I'll say it again. Fetus. Oh, for the record, I did read that Melissa McCarthy was actually pregnant at this time. So this whole storyline where Jackson didn't have a vasectomy, they probably didn't want to do it, but they had to justify her being pregnant. Yeah, because they, yeah, making Jackson like high, it's, it was such a downer for his character. It was just like such yeah. a redefinition of who he was. He was supposed to be like a super sweet guy. But I bet it would be so hard to hide her being pregnant. In Absolutely. That set. She'd just always be holding like a bowl. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's I mean, she's it in tightly, the kitchen. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't, maybe it would have been easy. They should have tried that. But the guy who plays Jackson was like, I want my character to have some more flaws. Can we work some flaws into this, please? Then Michelle appears, devastated. Chin Chin died last night. (gasps) So he's here, just super sad, toting his other beautiful and apparently grieving dog, Pawpaw. That was so funny. He said Pawpaw's just beside himself, and they just show the dog looking regular. (laughs) The dog's like, yeah, I'm fine. The girls really try to be sympathetic, but they hate this dog. <laughs> like, he's been a nuisance. But they really do try to be sympathetic, but it's, it's hard. I think they're sympathetic to Michelle's sadness, but they don't really give a shit about Chin Chin. Yeah. Suki goes out of her way to try to find any story where she liked Chin Chin, and she's like, oh, yeah, I have this kind of nice story about one time I dropped a sandwich outside, and I was, like, thankful that Chin Chin ate it so I didn't have to throw it away. And it's so funny because she's telling the story, like, doing everything she can to try to, like, paint Jin Jin in a positive light. And then Michelle's like, that was Pawpaw. (laughs) (laughs) Pawpaw's the one that ate your sandwich. And she's all like, oh, okay, well, it's still nice. And he's like, really? Are your two sticky little children interchangeable? (laughs) Such a great line. Are your two sticky little children interchangeable? And then later in the episode, again, he gets mad and brings up her kids. And she's all like, can my kids not be your (laughs) go-to? Super funny. Michelle guilt traps Lorelai and Suki into throwing Chin Chin a big memorial at the inn tomorrow. It's kind of a big ask. Yeah. But they're like, okay, sure, we'll do it. They suggest it. And then he's like, okay, great. You're planning it. Yeah, they kind of suggest he might want to do something like that. And they're like, he's like, yeah, thanks for doing that for me. (laughs) And they're like, what, huh? So now Lorelai and Suki, on top of managing the inn, on top of covering for Michelle, and on top of working through her, like, father's sickness, although he's doing well, Lorelai also has to start planning this dog memorial for the next day. Meanwhile, Logan and Rory are doing very well. They set that up in the last episode. They are doing so great. They can't stop talking about how great they are together. He has sent her a second semester senior survival kit, which is, like, coffee and some random stuff, like a really cheesy inspirational plaque. Rory just gushes to Paris about how comforting and sympathetic he was while Richard was in the hospital. Paris tells Rory that she's really impressed because she never thought Logan and Rory were going to make it. Because he's this like playboy kid who doesn't care about anything, but Rory somehow broke him. And then she goes on to say that she also broke Doyle. And that the two of them like tamed their men and that they can get their men to do anything. And she says that Rory owns Logan. It's a little weird (laughs) the way she's talking about men this way. And also, it's like a trope of like 
women want to like find a man and change him. And I think Paris is sort of like saying like, yeah, that's what women do. It's like we like manipulate our men to be what we want. And Rory is like, uh, I don't feel comfortable with that concept, maybe. Like, Logan's his own person. It's also funny because I don't know Doyle's backstory that well. They haven't told us too much. But I highly doubt he's quite at the same level of, like, playboy that Logan was at. <laughs> what they don't tell you. You find out this in the last episode. I read a spoiler. <laughs> Doyle died a long time ago. And this is actually the first. The whole time. <laughs> We talk about Doyle's no playboy. He broke up with Paris and was about to hook up with Rory within hours. Okay? You remember that? Uh-huh. Got her to take her coat off. I mean, things were heating up. Right. I mean, this guy can have he he can have whoever he wants. Yeah, remember when he was like heartbroken over that barista or something? <laughs> it's also cute, like when Rory shows up. Paris does ask her how she is, but she's also just like really wants to get back to this whiteboard project they've been working on all semester. Yeah, it's this project where she's trying to prepare them for life after graduation. But also, like, I guess, and I missed this the first time, some of the things on the list are just, like, things you need to do in college. Like, go to parties and stuff. Yeah, well, like, the trace letting was on the list. Right. Yeah, Paris is like, cool, as soon as you're done, like, being sad about your grandpa, uh, you need to give me a bunch of resumes to critique. Paris, I really feel like they figured her out as a character because... She really tries to check in with Rory when they sit down and like, I know humans have emotions and like, I am trying to be a friend for you. Yeah, that's what I was saying. As much as Paris is like mean and like too honest and blunt, they've really written their friendship to make sense. And Paris like has done things for Rory. Like she hid her textbooks at the bookstore. She gives Rory her notes, but she's also like redacted all of her personal notes where she's all like, yeah, these are the notes he gave the general public, but I'm not giving you any of my insights I wrote on the notes because it's tough for women in the world and we're going to be competing for jobs and I want to have an edge. It's really weird how she's all like, yeah, women should break men, but also women should fight each other. (laughs) Meanwhile, Michelle has a lot of demands and expectations for his dog memorial. Instead of, like, saying what he wants directly, too, he just, like, asks Lorelai and Suki what they already have planned for his dog's memorial. And they're, like, just sitting on a couch trying to improvise things because they clearly haven't thought about it that much. And this scene is all pretty funny. I think Lauren and Melissa play it really well, just, like, improvising stuff. Yeah, they do. I wonder how much of it was sort of improvised because it feels like it. Yeah. There was one specific thing. Lorelai's like suggesting they put the dog in like a box or a bag. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know, where, where do you put it? And Michelle's like, yeah, he's going to be cremated. And his ashes are going to be spread by the tree behind my house where he so often went to think. <laughs> <laughs> they're all like very like trying to be serious. Like, mm, yes, good idea. Christopher shows up sullen and sad. He wants to talk. He just heard about the dog death, I'm sure. Chris explains that he was angry about the letter and he turned off his phone after their fight because he needed some time to cool off. And when he turned on his phone and heard her message, he came immediately to the hospital. I don't think this makes sense because how long was he gone? How long was his phone off? Because he leaves at night. She wakes up the next day. He still hasn't come home. Like his phone is still off. Maybe. I don't think we were as tied to our phones back then. They didn't do as much shit. But doesn't he have work? I don't know. Does he? He works with computers. It's very mysterious. It is confusing because Babette says it seems like he's been gone a a while. Yeah, I know. So that kind of led us to believe that some time had passed between when he left and when the hospital happened. Exactly. But maybe it was just one day. But even one day, I feel like that's a long time to like not answer. And it's another day though. So, okay. So he goes a day, doesn't answer his phone, doesn't look at his phone. 
Then she ends up at the hospital. She's still calling him at night and he still hasn't got the message. Let's just assume it's true, though. It does sort of make him seem like less of an asshole for not being yes. there because he wasn't just not being there. Right. It wasn't just that he wasn't being there for Lorelai. It was because he didn't he know. Didn't he would have maybe come. But then they sort of undermine that because she's like, yeah, you came, but like you left after an hour and then like haven't visited since. I've been there for like days helping my dad. Yeah. She's like, I've been there for two days and I don't know if you're coming back or what's happening. He's all like, yeah, but I saw Luke and it made me all mad inside. Mm. That was, a, I think, a perfect impression of mm-hmm. Chris. Mm. She says, and this is devastating. There's a couple dev. I've said dev. What's another word for devastating? I've already said devastating twice. I'm looking it up. Heartbreaking. Heart-wrenching. Crushing. Have you already looked it up? No. Were those all the first ones? No. None of these calamitous, cataclysmic, <clears throat> death dealing. Yeah, these all sound real natural coming out of your mouth. Disadvantageous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are a couple just absolutely cataclysmic. I feel like devastating is the best word, but I've already say it. Nobody's going to care. I've already said devastating twice, but I have to continue to say it because there are some devastating lines of dialogue in this episode. Lorelai says to Christopher, she says, you weren't there when I needed you. And the worst part is, is that when you weren't there, part of me wasn't surprised. Oh, 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 that's a slap in the face. Shots fired. And Chris felt it. You can feel that he felt it. But Lorelai's got some sad dog stuff to do. So she's like, we'll talk later. Rory calls and immediately takes Lorelai's side, saying Christopher is being an asshole. And this is sweet, too, because there's been conflict throughout the show between Rory and Lorelai and Christopher in that Rory's like, I want a good relationship with my dad. I don't want you to, like, play around dating my dad if it's not serious. And then it ruins my relationship with my dad. But Rory makes it clear in this scene that it doesn't matter. She's on her mother's side, even if her mother's at fault, it sounds like. Because she's like, no matter what, I'm on your side. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. Lorelai explains that Christopher just avoids conflict when things get complicated. It's one of his flaws. And I was like, oh, that's true. Like when Lorelai poured some of that real talk on him about Gigi being spoiled and he's all like, I'm leaving. And then later was like, okay, well, maybe you were right about all of that. Yeah, that's true. He kind of did that when he bailed on their wedding planning event. Yeah, I feel like this is like a great description of how he deals with emotions that I wish I had noticed. Also, we get like a very quick fun scene as we see Lorelai covering for Michelle. She has to deal with some like obnoxious customer that wants to go line by line on the receipt because he wants to like contest and confirm every charge. While his poor wife is like, let's just go. Let's just let's just go. He's like, "Mm, I want to see the itemized. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. After the phone call, Rory goes to her economics class, and then the hottest TA of all time approaches her. Riley? At least that's what she, yeah, right? It's, it's, this has got some Riley vibes to it, mm-hmm. especially the next scene. At least she acts as if this is the hottest guy that she's ever seen before. She's just like dumbstruck by how hot he is, I guess. She starts auto failing with him, just like stumbling over her words and like getting hot and like, hey, uh, um, good for hot, you know, just can't even speak. Yeah. He wants to know how her grandfather is doing. And that is just super hot to hear, I guess. She barely stumbles through the conversation and sits down. We don't really understand what happened there, right? We're not told what's going on. But then later, Rory runs again into her tea at the bookstore. And this is the scene that's like, are we just redoing Buffy meeting Riley right now? Or are a bunch of books going to fall on this dude's head? Yeah. She tries talking to him about books and gets all like red and sweaty and awkward. And after he leaves, she's like out of breath 
I'm like, really? This dude is attractive. Like, he's he's attractive, but he's not, like, so attractive that you couldn't help yourself, you know? Yeah, I feel like he's attractive, but, like, also you'd want to know, like, a thing or two about him before getting sweaty. Yeah. He's not the... Let's be honest. There are people that are so attractive that, like, when you meet them, it's almost like your brain short circuits. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we've all met that person. It's like, oh, God, you're like, oh, what? Are you real? Because like, they also, like, know it, and they're, like, smiling at you with their eyes. Like, let's all just, like, enjoy how hot I am for a while. Yeah, it's like Henry Cavill or, like, Margot Robbie. Like, if you were to meet them in person, you'd probably be like, oh, hey, uh, 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 yes. <laughs> you know, like, you are, <laughs> yep, you are what you, yep. But I feel like this guy doesn't even know that he's hot. Right. And he's he is attractive. Nothing against the actor at all. But like Rory's like, oh, my God, like what about him is throwing you like that? It's not like he came over and was like, he's got five books that she loves or something. It's all the guys that she's dated are hotter. Yeah, for sure. But after this scene, Paris tries talking to her. But Rory is like zoned out for a few moments. I don't know if she's in like a fantasy about him or something. But yeah. Paris has to like bring her back to Earth. <laughs> she's just like, oh, it's too hot for me. Logan surprises Rory at her apartment. And then we get a real fucking bizarre scene. Mm-hmm. I was like yelling at the TV in this scene. I was like, Rory, what are you doing? Are you trying to break up with Logan right now? She sits Logan down. She's like, we got to talk because she wants to admit her indiscretion of letting a hot TA give her a lady boner. She's like, after the whole Marty thing, I just feel like I have to admit everything to you. I just want to be totally honest. And so she feels like she's got to tell him that she found a guy hot. Like, what? What? I feel like she gives too much preamble. She's, like, freaking him out for no reason. Like, yeah. say she found the guy was cute and then be like, maybe I'm a bad person. I, You know, she says, like, all that before, like, setting up that she cheated on him or something. Totally. And it's it's like, I don't know, if you had, like, hung out, I feel like what they did, none of that would be reportable back to your significant other. Right. Like, if he was like, hey, do you want to grab coffee with me? We'll go over notes, and then you do, and then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have gone to this. Like, I, I enjoyed it too much. Like, okay, then maybe bring it up, but I don't know. <laughs> Logan is like, yeah, it's totally fine. You've got a crush in a guy. I'm not threatened by this, which I don't believe. I feel like he would be threatened, quite honestly. They've set him up as very jealous throughout the show. Yeah, yeah, especially since she's going to continue to interact with this man. Totally. Rory, though, is worried that she might even intentionally be self-sabotaging her happiness and feels guilty that she might have broke Logan like Paris suggested. She's like, did I break you? Hmm. I will say it's an interesting thought to think that the Gilmore girls maybe do self-sabotage when they feel too happy because that might apply to her mom. Yeah. She's like, do you belong to me? And Logan's like, I'm cool with belonging to you if you belong to me. And she's like, yeah, I belong to you. And then they kiss and everything's great. Taylor Swift plays. Yeah. And then Logan goes and kills this TA off screen. Mm-hmm. I like the joke at the top of the scene. Paris is like off belly dancing as per their schedule. Yeah. And Rory's supposed to be at some wrestling match. And Logan's like, yeah, just lie. Use the term half Nelson. <laughs> She's like, I use the term full with Nelson. I'm not afraid. <laughs> that <laughs> is know. funny. Sometimes they're just like nonsense banter is really cute. Well, both of them are very happy. Everything's great between them. They're the perfect couple, which of course means they're about to face some hard times, right? Anytime in a show where two people are like, Things are good. We're doing great. It's like, okay, it's going to get bad. Like, that's the sign that the writers need to mess with the status quo. Also, it wouldn't be interesting. So I I have worries about them. You have worries? Yeah. Just because they're saying how happy they are. That's never good in Gilmore Girls. Lorelai gets home from the inn to Christopher, who's got his tail tucked between his legs. He admits that he shouldn't have left after their fight. 
So far, I'm team Lorelai and all of this, but I will say one thing. Christopher says to stop making him think all of this Luke stuff is in his head. He's seen the way that she looks at him. And he's right. And later in the episode, we confirm that he's right about that, at least. And she does sort of gaslight him like, no, I'm not into Luke. I chose you. I want you. And we know later that that's not all 100% true. Yeah. I almost feel like she's sort of trying to convince herself in this scene. That's what I would guess, yeah. And so I think that she shouldn't be with Christopher. I think Christopher did a lot of shit. But like that part where he's like, stop making it seem like it's all in my head. I'm like, that's fair, man. Like, because she is trying to do that. And you are sensing what's actually there. That doesn't excuse any Christopher shit. That's just one little thing that I was like, come on, Lorelai, be honest with him. And to her credit, she is honest with him later. Then, though, he's like, also, maybe I just got into a big fist fight with Luke in the middle of the town square one time. He also admits that he pushed her to get married and he should have waited until she had had some time to work out her feelings for Luke. And I think he just knows that she's settling for him. Like he's he feels it. He isn't ultimately what she wants in a partner in her heart of hearts. And he knows it. But Lorelai's like, oh, we can work through it. Christopher doesn't think they can work through it. He's like, I've been asking you to marry me for 20 years and I still feel like I'm asking you. Another one of those scathing lines. Devastating. Yeah. It's funny that they don't say this phrase, but it's clear that he doesn't feel like she's all in on the marriage. Mm. It's almost like they were avoiding saying that line because the dialogue is almost that. Then he says he's got to go see his mom and Gigi and they'll work this out tomorrow. When she says that they can work on it, he's like, work on what? You thinking I'm the man you want to spend the rest of your life with? Mm-hmm. That was a good that was a good point. But yeah, Lorelai just keeps insisting she's she's in and she wants to work on this. So Lorelai emotionally isn't doing well, which manifests in the next scene when she is at the end covering for Michelle. And Michelle is very upset that Lorelai and Suki aren't spending every waking moment on Chin Chin's memorial. And it's just like whining at Lorelai. It's like he's got this voice he's doing that's just too much. And she finally snaps on him for being an asshole. And rightfully so. He can be a lot sometimes. He apologizes. He says... I apologize my loss has come at an inopportune time for you. I will try to schedule my next death when it is more convenient. I like that line. I feel like he should be a little bit more sympathetic. Like, yeah, his dog died. But, like, her dad's also going through a big thing. Obviously, he doesn't know about Christopher. And she's covering for him at the end. Like, Mm -hmm. she looks busy. And I feel like she and Suki have been very supportive. Like, yeah, we haven't spent every waking hour on this dog thing. But, like, we are responding to and acknowledging your requests in a positive way. Lorelai goes to the kitchen to talk to Suki. Lorelai brings up Christopher. And Suki just like immediately kicks out the staff. She hears Chris's name and then turns around and taps on the staff and is like, get out. And then like feels bad about it. She's like, you're doing great though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Get out, get out, get out. You're doing great though. You're doing great. Yeah, because she just said that she's like been begging them all to stay for Michelle's funeral too. <laughs> she mm-hmm. like, wants to keep them happy. Lorelai is trying to figure out how to make it work with Christopher. And she even admits that Christopher is probably picking up on feelings she does still have for Luke. And she says that the only way she's going to make her marriage work, she thinks, is to just cut Luke out of her life completely to appease Christopher. And I, it's just, I, I feel like if, if she were going to try to make it work, she would have to do that. She would have to cut Luke out of her life for like two years, at least. Which is, like, not possible since he is always in every episode. Yeah. She's not, like, trying to see him, though. He just keeps showing up. Right. Or, like, asking her for things. Suki calls her out for moving on to Christopher so quickly after breaking up with Luke. And she's like, yeah, there's no way your feelings are resolved yet. 
Lorelai's is like, no, but I picked Chris, you know, the man who wants to marry me. And that's the line. It's like, no, you're settling. You didn't pick Chris. You just decided to go for the person who will give you what you wanted to feel loved and move on to your next step in life, which is Christopher. She also does point out that Luke was distant and uncommunicative, which is true. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm so I mean, we could talk about this at the end, I guess. But I, I feel like the reason she ultimately leaves Christopher is not just because of Luke. It's because he's not the right one. But, like, why isn't he the right one? Well, I mean, I think part of her, she needs someone who's going to be there for her always to take care of her. That's what she wants. Someone who's, like, always, not take care of her like she doesn't do any work. I just mean, like, she needs somebody that will be her rock. And Christopher is not her rock. Christopher is a good partner in some regards, but he's not a rock. Luke is. I feel like Christopher could work on that, though. Yeah. It's interesting, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, but Emily has suggested a few times that he's immature, and I feel like we are seeing that. Yeah. Because Christopher's not a monster. Like, he'll do something immature, and we've seen this a few times, and then later regret it and realize what he did was wrong. Mm -hmm. So he's not a monster. He's like, yeah, okay, I made mistakes. And, And humans make mistakes, but I think ultimately she loves Luke and is settling for Christopher because Luke wasn't giving her what she needed to feel like he loved her enough to be her rock. Yeah, you're probably right. Good job. The scene ends with Suki saying, you know, if Luke wasn't in the picture, forget about Luke. Would Christopher then be the one? Lorelai kind of doesn't answer, which makes it clear that no, he would not be. Lorelai makes up with Michelle. She gets Zach to play music at his memorial. We have a pretty fun scene when she's like recruiting Zach. And Zach really, really doesn't want to play anything that isn't a little bit rock and roll. Like, he keeps, like, settling for other songs. He's like, okay, that song's cheesy, but it's okay. We could do that song. But at the end of the day, he ends up playing Celine Dion, and he's, like, so unhappy about it. I feel like Zach's such a baby bitch. Man, I'm sorry. Like, you you can play a not rock and roll song for someone's memorial. No one's judging you there. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get your big break at that. Dog memorial attended by only Dragonfly Inn employees. Exactly. Like, I get how you wouldn't prefer that, but, like, get over it, man. What? He's so... Oh, I just don't like Zach. We have another scene where Michelle goes to Luke's to eat a burger because one time in a moment of weakness, he bought a burger and then threw it out because, you know, he's trying to maintain his weight all the time. And a moment of weakness when he had a really stressful day with mimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was mimes saying at the end. And it was too much. Yeah, it was very funny. Uh, and then Chin Chin got in the trash and ate it. And Chin Chin loved it more than anything. So he's going to eat a burger as a way of paying respect to his dog. Is the metaphor that Luke is Lorelai's trash burger? I hadn't thought of that, but I love that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing's going to make you happier than this trash burger. <laughs> and then this she kind of looks at Luke trash burger. And he waves. Hey. I'm a trash burger. I'm a trash burger. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, because he's like, I fed him all this fancy lamb and biscuits, but he just, he loved this trash burger. It's definitely a metaphor there somewhere, right? Like, Christopher could provide her with all this money, which wasn't a huge plot point. Lorelai wasn't like dating him for his money at all. Right. But like, that's what they're saying, right? Luke's a trash burger. I hadn't thought about that. I love that idea. That's when she realized that she wanted a trash burger and not some fancy lamb. Real quick, Lorelai's wearing a weird pink hat. Is that like one of those pussy hats? It looks no, like a pussy No, this is pre-pussy. Hat. Oh, wow. She was starting the trend, maybe. I didn't like it. I don't know. I like flattened her hair. and Just really stood out to me. Finally, at the memorial, Lorelai has some real time to think about Christopher and be sad as the camera zooms in on her pensive face. There's also an extra in this scene. 
like in the frame with Lorelai for a long time, who's just like smiling weirdly, petting a dog. It's very distracting from like the pensive face they're trying to highlight on Lorelai. It just this real goofy look on this dude's face. <laughs> I hate it. Like we're doing something with Lorelai's face right now, dude. And mine, baby. <laughs> I don't know how the director didn't like get this guy out of there. He was just happy Lorelai wasn't wearing that hat anymore. He shouldn't have been smiling anyway. There's like a funeral happening. He's a dog killer. <laughs> He's just happy whenever a dog dies. He killed the dog. Yeah. He poisoned a trash burger, killed the dog. So after having all this time to think and reflect, Lorelai goes home and decides to break up with Christopher. She essentially tells Christopher that he was right. She does have feelings for Luke still, and that's not fair to him. This scene is so, so sad and quite honestly, I think, very well acted by both of them. So good. It gets me every time. It's, it's very good. She says that she sees Christopher as the person she wants to want. She's like, you're the man I want to want. I was like, that's so fucking sad. It's so sad. And she says it like so emotional. She says, you have no idea how badly I wish dot, dot, dot. I wanted you. She doesn't say I want you, but that's the that's the next part of that sentence. You have no idea how badly I wish I wanted you, but I don't, is the context there. That is like a fucking gut punch. He gets it. Not happy, obviously, but like he's not trying to make her feel bad in this moment. Yeah, as much as Chris has been really shitty this season, especially the last couple episodes, you I, you can't help but feel for him here. You're like, no. oh, yeah, man, because you were right. Your like deepest fears were correct. She was settling for you. She doesn't love you the way that she loves Luke, and she never will. Yeah. And it's it's awful. This line is like seared into my brain, the way she says it. Which mm-hmm. line specifically? I need you to know you're the man I want to want. Mm-hmm. I feel like almost, Lorelai, you just need to not say that. Don't say you're the man I want to want. It's like, just say it's not working, because <laughs> it's so hurtful. Like, oh, man, I really wish I could want you, but I don't. She's like trying to comfort him, though. It's not a comforting thing to say. I know, but it, it, I can see why she would think it would be in the moment. Like She's being honest, which is good. It's not you. <laughs> it's me, basically. Sure. It is sweet, though, that he's not, like, angry. He's, like, comforting her for breaking up with him. Yeah. I mean, he, he's seen the writing on the wall for the longest time. He knew this was going to happen. In a way, he sort of did this. I mean, she didn't have to agree to marry him, but, like, he really pushed for it, which he admits. I do, if I'm being real, I do, I feel like they could have made it work. And Lorelai says earlier that if, if it was just Chris being angry, if there wasn't the Luke thing, then they could just make it work. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like they could. I feel like Christopher could grow up and mature. That's why I'm saying, like, why isn't it him? Like, I think you had a good point that it's, he's not there for her like Luke would be. But, like, I, I think he could learn that that's what she needs. Yeah, but, I mean, for me, though, I feel like Christopher, it's not like a learned thing. Like, yes, you could learn that there's going to be repercussions if you're not there for her. But Luke's instinct is Lorelai's in pain. I need to be there for her no matter what. Christopher's, if Lorelai were in pain and Christopher was like just regular mood Christopher, yeah, he would be there for her. But if it comes to choosing between comforting Lorelai or dealing with his own emotions, he's going to deal with his own emotions. And then help Lorelai. Where Luke, that's, Luke is like, no, my own emotions don't matter. I got to be there for Lorelai right now. But let's say we are taking Luke out of the equation. Mm-hmm. She's going, this guy who I love absolutely everything about, we have so much history, but he's not always there for me. Versus every guy I haven't met yet. You know what I mean? Like, if you're I think the- that's a huge character flaw, though. Yeah. Because again, it's, it's, he's like, oh, I'm hurt, so I don't care that Lorelai's also hurting. 
my pain's more important. Like, no, you need to understand that everything gets paused. And I don't think that's a learned thing. Like I said, I think he could learn that there's repercussions if he doesn't put his own feelings aside and be there for Lorelai. But that's not the same as who I am as a person, as someone who values your well-being over my emotional state. Yeah. Poor Christopher. Poor Pluto. It is a wonderfully acted scene, and it's so crazy how, like, I hated Christopher, but the scene's like, yeah, I still feel bad for him in the scene, though. It's stuff you don't want to hear. He's not a bad guy. No, I think Emily's assessment's right. He's immature and maybe a little selfish, but he isn't a bad guy. I bet he could make somebody happy. Not Sherry, but someone. Okay, Stace, so quick question. Uh, was this a good episode of Gilmore Girls? I think it was. This last scene is is great. Yeah. I do kind of find... The Michelle storyline annoying. Yeah. There's some funny stuff with it, like the scene with Lorelai and Suki trying to like do their best to pretend they've thought about this funeral at all. Right. Is very funny. But like ultimately it's kind of just grating Michelle's attitude. It's like too much. Totally. And Rory and Logan's relationship is like super cute. It's adorable to watch them be happy together. They play off each other really well. Mm-hmm. And they're so in love. But this teacher crush storyline was kind of just a silly little thing for Rory to do this episode that like doesn't really matter. I mean, I guess it like kind of solidifies that they're doing good, whether or not that stays true or not, per your prediction. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I didn't hate it, but it, it was just like a nothing story. Yeah, I mean, really, the whole episode boils down to the Christopher stuff. Mm-hmm. Like none, everything else is whatever. Funny at times, annoying at times, but like oh, that's all you're going to really remember. Yeah, yeah. Because that I Christopher do. stuff is so powerful. Yeah. That last scene is like, Two minutes, but it's great. Also, when Logan is like, you know, I'll be honest with you, like, it's not like I don't find other women attractive. And Rory's like, I know. But I was <laughs> like, how would you know? You said that, like, you know, you're the one who thought Bobby was super hot and mentioned it. Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. He didn't say that, hey, I think Bobby's hot. I mean, we all know Bobby's hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, is this like about the bridesmaids? Why are you saying it like that? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to say it's a good episode despite some flaws just because it's so powerful in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think the weaker slash annoying aspects were enough for me to say it's a bad episode, but a lot of it was really great. Yeah. All right. Should we move on? To what? Like another segment we like to do? Yeah, let's do it. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyways. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 7, Episode 14, Carpe Demon. Okay, that's all right. Seize the demon. <sighs> the newest professor hired by Paige at Magic School is an ex-demon, which comes with an interesting life story. Now, that is not proper grammar, which comes with an interesting story. Yeah, like the situation comes with an interesting story? yeah. Also, Phoebe's the one who works at the magic school. What's Paige doing hiring people? <laughs> yeah. This... She works at the post office. She has a lot going on. She's like Kirk. She has a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. We didn't even mention. He's volunteering as a florist in this episode. Yes, I forgot to mention that. He, he's volunteering as a florist, but still wants a tip. <laughs> okay, so this episode, as we both know, because we know what happens in these Charmed episodes, these aren't just us making shit up off the top of our head. No. Like we're Richard doing a hallway walk. Or Lorelai and Suki planning a funeral. This is about this demon. She hires him. Then he admits, hey, I feel like I have to be honest with you. I'm a demon. She's like, whoa, 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 what? He's like, ex-demon, ex-demon. You've dealt with ex-demons before. And I uh, have an interesting story. 
And she's like, there is no I. We don't treat you as a person. We're treating you as a situation, mm-hmm. which comes with an interesting story. He's like, right. So let's tell it. This episode is really mostly about his story, and it's like a comical episode. It's like narration and flashback, mm-hmm. where they'll like cut back to Paige sitting in the office interviewing him, and then we'll see like flashbacks of his life. Yeah. Reenactments. The funny thing is, Paige is pretending to be Phoebe. Yes. Phoebe like stepped out to go take a work call or something, and Paige was just there to like ask her for money, and he shows up for the job interview. While Paige is sitting in there. So she's just like spinning around in the desk chair and then she pretends to be Phoebe. So she's not even supposed to be hiring this guy. Right. He tells a story about how he was a demon and fell in love with a slayer mm. and decided to be a, not a demon anymore. And mm-hmm. so that's what happened. And it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny because... <laughs> <laughs> Why is it funny, babe? It's it's hard to talk about. Yes, because it gets emotional. It gets, it's funny but it's emotional. There's a lot of really, there's a lot that happened to him throughout yeah. his life that's both wow. funny and, and emotional. Emotional, yeah. Um, you know, he a lot of the time the Slayer he was in love with didn't realize he was a demon, right? Which is why he just mentions it right away at the top of this interview. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of him like, you know, being like, "Whew, that was a close one." At the times when he thought she might realize and was gonna kill him and didn't. You see, it's like funny and emotional. But at the end, she hires him, and it's uh, it's great. And then Phoebe walks in, and I was like, "What? What are you? What are you doing? Get out of here, both of you! You don't work here, Paige. And <laughs> I guess this demon does now. You've done the paperwork. Yeah. And once the paperwork's done, signed in blood, mm-hmm. he's he's part of the staff now. Yeah. So he works there now. But Phoebe's not happy about it. Nice departure from the show to have a nice standalone funny episode. It was a cool device to like cut back and forth. Yeah. Between. Interview, fake interview, and real, true, emotional, funny, interesting <laughs> life story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not making this up at all. Hashtag Meanwhile Untarmed. Hashtag all true. Okay. This has been, been Meanwhile Uncharmed. Well, after that, we watched Buffy. Stacy, please tell us all about First Date, a very sexy episode. Is it? No, but there's flirting. There's flirting. This episode is about Buffy and Xander both going on a first date with someone. Not each other. No. And also, Will is just like fully dating Kennedy now. Yeah, I feel like that happened very quickly. I'm not really going to dive into that much because it's not that important, but they're basically like attached at the hip the whole episode. Yeah, almost literally. They're just like. Yeah, she's always just like hanging on the back of Willow, like a backpack. (laughs) Okay, there's a lot going on in the first like two minutes of this episode, so bear with me. It opens with us finally learning how Giles avoided getting his head chopped off by that bringer. He wasn't looking at him, but he hears the guy's shoes squeak, so he reaches out and grabs the axe before it could hit him. Did he also hear the axe? Yeah, that's he got very lucky, because he also could have misplaced his hand and then just, like, got his hand chopped off. And, like, the bringers have been known to use knives. He may Mm -hmm. have not even had a weapon. That was an axe squeak, you could tell. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of don't buy. He just know where to put his hand to not die perfectly. Right. I mean, you could argue he got lucky. You can also argue he's been training for stuff for a long well, time. He is good with a sword. He will argue both of these things briefly. But yes, it, it was inches from his head when they showed it. Like, I kind of just don't buy that the timing lines up with what they showed us. Right. Or that he'd be able to stop the momentum in time. 
But he does. He grabs the axe, and then he chops off the bringer's head, and then he leaves Robson to die and heads to Sunnydale. <laughs> yeah, because Robson wakes up at some point and was like yes. alive and calls and is like, yeah, last thing I knew, Giles was about to die, and then I decided to go back to sleep. Yes, <laughs> he calls the Scoobies and is like, the last thing I remember was Giles was about to get his head cut off, and he suspects- And I didn't want to see that shit, so I shut my eyes. <laughs> He suspects Giles is dead. So we're led to believe that Robson passed out at that exact moment, and then Giles just leaves him there unconscious after he's done killing the bringer. Yeah, I guess that's what happened. And you could argue that he was like, I'm in a hurry. This place isn't safe. I'll call for help. I get, but like, like help your friend. Yeah, because Robson has no memory of Giles not dying. Weird sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Robson also like didn't check to see if there were any Giles heads rolling around before he called the Scoobies to say he might be dead. I would have said that. I didn't see a Giles head around, but. (laughs) But it's mostly fucked up that Giles didn't take Robs into a hospital or call an ambulance or something. Agreed. Anyway, now Giles is walking with Buffy and the potentials in the graveyard, admitting he got pretty lucky, but also his training, of course, and his instincts and his reflexes he's developed over the years. I think he was sort of trying to sell them on the idea of like how important it is to train, but also kind of bragging. I think it was mostly bragging. Right in the middle of bragging about how good his reflexes and senses are, Spike just, like, runs in and tackles him to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Giles' reflex is not great in this situation. <laughs> Giles is like, hey, why didn't that hurt you? And Spike is like, hey, you're not the first. Anya said you were the first. There's so much wrong with what Spike says. We have to break this down. This, this opening scene is just nonsense pie. For one, why would he try to tackle him if he thought he was the first? He would go through it. He even says, you're supposed to be all go-throughable. So he just decided to dive through Giles and faceplant into the ground in front of all the potentials? Yeah, that was his plan? Giles does call him out on this, and Spike's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't don't really think about it. (laughs) Okay. That's what the writers told me to do. It did seem dumb. Second of all, why would Spike think he's the first? Spike was with Buffy. When they got the call that Giles might be the first. That same night, they figured out he was not. We didn't see them call Buffy and tell her. I guess it's possible that they called Buffy when she was like at the initiative while they were on their way to the desert to confront Giles. But if that's the case, Spike and Buffy were together. So Buffy must have told him because he knows about it. And then maybe they called Buffy again after they found out he wasn't the first. And Buffy just never told Spike that for some reason. Maybe he was like in his procedure. But you think she would have told him when he woke up? Yeah, but Giles is also walking with Buffy right now. And if Buffy also knew he was maybe the first, wouldn't he be like, okay, Buffy's got this? Yeah. And you think she would have told Spike at some point, too, once she found out he wasn't the first? Because clearly Buffy doesn't think he's the first. Like, they live together. Whatever. That's all, like, was for jokes, I think. They just thought it would be a funny thing that, like, Giles and Spike run into each other. It was for jokes and for exposition, right? It was like letting us know what's going on with Spike. His ship has been removed. Giles is alive. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess they'll like only if you missed the last episode. They do that all the time in shows where someone might have missed an episode. They're like, we're catching you up on everything that's happened. Yeah. It's it just like there's a way to justify all of it, but it's pretty pokey holeable. Yeah, this is a pretty weak opening. It's, it's really weak nonsense writing. Giles really wants to know why Spike's chip isn't working, though. And they explained that when they were at the initiative, Buffy had to make a choice to remove or repair the chip. Spike, like, keeps emphasizing that Buffy had to make a choice. He says that, like, a couple times. And Giles is just appalled that she chose to have it removed. The potentials are confused. 
Chow An, the new potential from Shanghai, is with them now. She doesn't speak any English, and in Cantonese says that she doesn't understand what any of them are saying. Her introduction in the scene is so heavy-handed. Yeah. While Giles is telling them about his acting and the importance of training, at some point he's just like, keep up, Chow An. You're new here. Remember about training? <laughs> so yeah. funny to be like, you're new here, everyone. <laughs> everyone watching the show. Also, she would have been in the last episode in the desert retreat because, like, he went to Shanghai to get her and then assume he brought her back before he went to the desert. But as we discussed, none of the potentials were in that episode. None of the actors were there. Theoretically, the potentials were Right. So, theoretically, he's already explained the concept of training to her at some <laughs> point on that camping trip or, you know, maybe on the long plane ride back from Asia. To be fair, she doesn't speak English, so maybe he did and she has no clue what he was saying. Yeah, I'm not sure why he's explaining anything to her in English. The episode gets better, I promise. There's just a lot to unpack in the first 90 seconds. Yeah, really disappointing, sloppy intro. Like... Ah, it's really weird because Buffy can be written so tightly sometimes, but this just seemed very, like, it's sloppy. I keep saying that word, but that's the word that describes it. It's devastating. <laughs> Meeting a grape. <laughs> Grapes make him so giggly. The next day, at the Summy Res, Giles confronts Buffy again about having Spike's chip removed. Buffy's like, I guess it was instinct, like you were talking about. And he's like, pshaw, I made that up. And this is where he admits it was because the bringer's shoes squeaked. But there really would have had to have been some instincts, reflexes, and training at play for him to pull off the move that he did. Yeah. Buffy explains that chip or no chip, Spike's soul is what's going to stop him from hurting people. You had a good question. Can Spike lose his soul like Angel can? Like, the pure happiness clause doesn't seem to be built into his soul contract like it is with Angel. Yeah, and I wish they would address this, because it seems to me that his wasn't a curse... His was like he went out and found a soul. So it seems to me that like he wouldn't have the same like curse clause that Angel's curse has. Giles is like, Buffy, you're being like real dumb right now. <laughs> he says Great, that, Giles. Thank you. He says that her feelings for Spike are clouding her judgment. And basically he doesn't want her to date Spike and know she can do better. Being a total dad right now. Yeah. In the room of her dead mom who he fucked when they did magic drugs one time. Mm. Two times. Yeah. Buffy's like, yeah, well, I think it's wrong to muzzle him. So that's the choice I made. Giles knows it can't be undone, but he like really hates this. Thinks she's being stupid. Also in the scene, she casually lets him know that the principal might be evil, but she's working on figuring that out. Couple things about this scene that are very interesting. On the one hand, I get Buffy's point of view because she trusts Spike with a soul. Just the same way she trusted Angel. Also, she says like, oh, the first was able to get around this chip before anyway. So, you know, it didn't matter that he had a chip. Giles says, we don't know that the chip hasn't been malfunctioning. And that's why the first could do that. Right. Like maybe a fixed chip would have prevented this from happening. And yeah. I think that's a totally fair point. Because he was able to kill those people. But then we do see it work when he like punches Xander one time after he's killed some people. So it seems like it was sort of working sometime maybe it wasn't working with the first though and it was working properly when he was like acting in his own accord when he hit xander mm -hmm. but you could argue that it was just malfunctioning and firing sometimes in the first figure out a way where it wouldn't fire because it was malfunctioning like it would fire sometimes but like it figured out a way that it had stopped firing and it was utilizing that yeah but also the argument is they don't really say this but like well this chip seems like it didn't last forever previously and maybe it won't last forever again. He's going to have head pains again. And so why don't we just take it out now? But 
why not fix it and just take it out next time it malfunctions? I mean, it was like kind of a struggle to find the initiative to get it taken out. What if the initiative is gone when it malfunctions again? But like, I don't really understand why Spike, someone who can't die by normal means, like if you shot him in the brain, he would be fine. Why didn't you just take him to any doctor, do an x-ray on his head, be like, take that thing out. My brain and head will heal. Can they tell any doctor he's a vampire? No, but you could approach a doctor and be like, hey, here's the deal. This guy's a vampire. I'm the slayer. Look, I'm a good guy. He's a good guy. Uh, but we need to remove this thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I do empathize with her point that it will break eventually. So why put him through this again? Well, I would say for the safety of everybody. But the soul should keep people safe. Well, he had a soul and he was killing people. Yeah. I feel like Giles's thoughts are just very real. And I almost want to be like, once the first is taken care of, then we can talk about removing his chip. It isn't like... Spike has just been acting normal and the chip is bad. And we're like, well, he's been on his best behavior. He's got a soul. Let's take his chip out. It's like, no, he's had a soul and a chip and he's been killing people. Right. So you just being like, yeah, he's over it now isn't really a good justification. Yeah. I mean, we learned by the end of this episode that it was maybe not the best idea, but we'll see. So I kind of get, and, and Giles also says in the scene, you're like codependent on each other. And at the end of the episode, she like makes it clear that that is true. Xander is at like a Home Depot tool demo for fun when he suddenly drawn to a girl buying rope. Her name is Lissa and she's played by Ashanti. I know of Ashanti. Like I saw her name at the top of the episode. I was like, oh, that's a singer. But I honestly don't really know much about her or her music. I know she was popular around this time. She's like dating Nelly now. She hasn't done a lot of acting, honestly. And it kind of shows. Yeah, I wasn't super impressed with her. This is a pretty good episode, but this whole storyline is the real weak spot. Yeah. It might be the writing too, but I'm just like not compelled by this character at all. She's not like a good villain or charming or particular. Yeah, she's not particularly charming. And honestly, to be fair, Nicholas Brendan's portrayal of Xander like doing his best Rory, like flirting with her poorly. Like I just it wasn't intriguing to me. It is sort of it wasn't even cute. Kind of didn't like it. There were weirdly a lot of similarities between these episodes, but that, that mm -hmm. is kind of one where he's just like dumbstruck by someone beautiful and can't speak. We'll get to a couple more. Like she's not awful, but I just like didn't care that much about her. Right. Like that other woman that Xander had a fling with earlier this season, the lady with the dog whose like ex-boyfriend was a slug demon. Yeah. She was fine enough. She like held her own. I wouldn't have been mad if like he dated her for a few episodes or something. Like I thought they had better chemistry. Mm-hmm. Well, Lissa says that this rope is for hanging her kayak in her garage. And Xander says, I want to date you. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently works. They set up a date. Like I said, he channels his best Rory. He's like stumbling over his words. He's so nervous. <laughs> At school, Buffy goes snooping in Principal Wood's office. She's about to open his secret cupboard when he walks in. She pretends she thought his secret cupboard was a supply cabinet. And he says, I want to date you. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like kind of blurted out. When he asks what her plans are for tonight, she says she's going to be watching a reality show about a millionaire, probably Joe Millionaire, which aired in 2003. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But like, is she? She's got like a conga line of girls to train. What is she supposed to say to him? <laughs> I'm going to train some girls in my house for coming evil. She does lie at first. I forget what she She says she's going to like do work at home, like preparing for this job. And he's like, OK, what are you really doing? So I think that the reality show thing is the truth, because the first thing was a lie. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, Buffy deserves a break here and there. We all do. But there's like some serious shit going down right now. 
Yeah. I guess the whole point of this episode is that everyone but Giles is losing focus. His focus <laughs> has very much improved. He's so good at focusing right now. Just grabbing <laughs> axes out of nowhere. So I guess maybe she is losing focus, taking too many TV breaks, but I kind of don't buy that she's like ever got time for TV. I also don't think it's crazy for someone finding time to watch a TV show to yeah. relax. And I bet it's like on all the time at the house with all those girls there. <laughs> Buffy comes home. What happened? Why is everyone upset? You need to watch Joe Millionaire. This episode's intense. Like Buffy used to really want to try to have a normal life. Like yeah. was resisting all this stuff, trying to do yeah. high school things. But I feel like she gave up on that sometime in like season four. Yeah, I think Buffy ultimately would like to have a regular life, but she's like decided it's her duty to be a slayer and Mm -hmm. she knows it is and she's grown into that role. But I do think that part of her would love to just be a normal girl. It's just not an option for her and she knows it. Yeah. Well, Buffy agrees to go on a date with him and after he leaves, he pulls a bloody knife from his coat and BD and then he opens his secret cupboard and puts the knife away next to his large collections of other various axes, swords and knives and BD. Every principal has a knife cupboard, right? Yeah. Mayors, too. Yeah. Very reminiscent of the mayor's secret cupboard. Speaking of old principals, there's a gravestone in one of the graveyard scenes that says Snyder on it. Yeah. I don't know that that would be Snyder because he would be like blown up snake, but apparently it's there. Still make a grave. At home, Buffy is telling Willow about her potential date. She's not even sure it is a date. She wonders if she's being promoted for doing such a good job. Willow just like laughs. laughs at that. It's so funny. She thinks it was a joke, but quickly realizes it was not. Buffy's like offended. <laughs> I like this running bit that Buffy's not good at her job. Yeah. What would she be promoted to? Her job is like made up. <laughs> like, yeah. What's, what's next for her? It's not like a ladder to climb in the profession she's in. She also suspects that he could suspect that she suspects something's up with him and he's taking her out to kill her. Right. But Buffy doesn't hate the idea of this being a date. She lists one of the reasons she's attracted to him as he doesn't give off wicked energy. The hell he doesn't, girl. Have you seen (laughs) the way he looks when you're not looking? Well, no, by definition. (laughs) He's giving off some wicked Eng, Buff. Eng being energy? Is that what that... Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. She's also worried she could be attracted to him because he is evil. You know, her type. Right. Xander busts in, excited to share that he has a date. Buffy spoils his excitement by telling him about hers. He's like, isn't that guy like 10 years older than you? Which Willow points out is actually pretty good for Buffy. Yeah, that's funny. Though it honestly is pretty inappropriate for him to ask her out. Which he kind of jokes about saying like, yeah, you'll have to, you know, sign something saying this wasn't creepy. That I'm not like... Saying your job is dependent on this. He kind of made a joke about it, but like, it is weird. He's like, it's not weird at all. And she's like, is your your coat dripping blood from like a bloody knife shape? No, no, I'm just aroused. (laughs) (laughs) My dick bleeds. (laughs) Right, yeah. That all happens. Sign these papers, Summers. They ask Xander if his date is evil. And he's like, well, considering she's into me, there's a good chance, but I'm hoping for the best. Giles busts in, complaining about how bad the mall sucks. He brought Chow on here with nothing, so he had to go buy her all new stuff. He still can't really communicate, but he says he got her ice cream, and ice cream is the universal language. And then in Cantonese, she explains that she's lactose intolerant and she's very uncomfortable. (laughs) They're like, cool, great, love that for you. Whatever. (laughs) Andrew is gleefully reading the manual for the new microwave. Remember, the microwave broke when Dawn had her encounter in conversations with dead people. Andrew's been kind of preoccupied with that ever since. 
But then Jonathan shows up. The first, obviously. Andrew tries to stop him with a cross. He's like, take that, the first. <laughs> Jonathan's like, yeah, that doesn't work on so many levels. You can't touch me. Also, I'm not a vampire. But Jonathan has an assignment for Andrew. Andrew's like, no thanks. I'm on team Buffy now. Jonathan's like, really? She's going to let you be on the team? You're a murderer. He's like, yeah, well, a lot of her people are murderers. <laughs> Which is true. And Jonathan's like, well, we're pretty much going to kill all the Slayer gang in this upcoming war, but evil will always exist. Therefore, so will I. And if you help me, you can be on my team forever. All you got to do is kill all the potentials. No big deal. And she's like, yeah, no, I don't think I can do that. I really hate stabbing people. And Jonathan's like, you don't have to stab. Willow brought a gun into the house. I'm surprised they kept it. Totally. Buffy hates guns yes. so much. And obviously Willow's not a fan of guns. So I feel like I don't... Willow would take it back immediately after realizing mm -hmm. it was a mistake. Or throw it out or get rid of it. Yeah, and if Andrew knows about it, Buffy must. It's in Buffy's underwear drawer. I guess so. maybe Andrew didn't know about it. Maybe Jonathan was informing him in this moment. But I don't buy that it would be in the house still with all these girls here. Agreed. Later, Anya's helping Buffy clean a blood and or pizza stain out of the shirt she's going to wear for her date. Which is funny because Dawn got pizza on it and she was like, oh, Buffy will think it's blood. Yes, but Anya's also made the opposite joke before. Mm -hmm. Anya's a little jelly that Xander has a date. Interesting. Buffy is in just like the little tank top she's going to wear underneath the shirt Anya's cleaning. And Anya's in a normal sweater, but it's clear that the early 2000s mid-drift phase is in full swing. The low-rise jeans phase? Yeah. Between the two of them, there's just a full torso on display. <laughs> Spike runs into Buffy in the sunny, sunny hallway. He's like... <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like, shouldn't you be on fire right now? Yes. Vampires with souls can be in almost direct sunlight. Watch one episode of Angel. <laughs> but he's like, ooh la la, me likey this toppy. Because she's in like a very skimpy shirt. Yeah. He's heard about her date, but he's cool with it. He's not. Buffy pitches, maybe he'd try dating too. He's like, yeah, totally. I've absolutely moved on. He hasn't. <laughs> I also wanted to mention that when Spike and Buffy are talking, he talks about how he was never going to have picket fences with her. Oh, yeah. Because they're too dangerous. Now, that's kind of funny because, you know, vampires can get killed by stakes. But what's kind of doubly interesting is that Buffy kills a vampire with a picket fence in the episode, Never Kill a Boy, on the first date. And this episode is called First Date. I was like, is that intentional? That oh, seems wow. A weird coincidence. Meanwhile, Xander is meeting his date for coffee. He lies and tells her he's drinking a red eye. And she tries it. And she's like, that's hot cocoa. What a weird thing to lie about. Like, to yeah, what? <laughs> they're meeting for coffee at 8.30 p.m. It's not weird at all to order something without caffeine. Yeah. And he was like trying to prove he's a manly man who stays up all night, I guess. And then she orders a red eye because, spoilers, she's got work to do. <laughs> Back at home, Willow and some of the girls are pre-Facebook stalking Principal Wood. <laughs> uh, this is interesting because Rory was Google stalking mm -hmm. her teacher. TA, yeah. yeah. Connections. That is kind of a connection here in general, like dating a, a faculty member. Yeah. Or being into a faculty member sort of inappropriately. But they aren't really finding out much about his past, pre-Sunnydale. Hmm. We also find out that Giles made some violent drawings to help explain Slayerism to Chow An, since he can't speak to her. And I guess they really upset her and some of the other girls who weren't paid to be in this episode. 
<laughs> yeah, we've talked about this, but like the number of women fluctuates so much between episodes. Yeah, Kennedy's basically like a series regular at this point. Mm-hmm. She's in every episode, but like I think Chalon's maybe the only other one we see in this one. Uh, there's probably a couple other ones walking in the graveyard at the top. Maybe Amanda's in this one too. A couple of them have lines in the beginning, but yeah, it's there's some missing for sure. He keeps calling these flashcards, insisting they're educational. There's one of the Turok Han who's just like ripped a girl in half in like a massive pool. They're board. very graphic and poorly drawn. They're cute though, because they're also like similar to the the Hush drawing. Yeah, you said that. You're like, did the same person draw these? And then you're like, oh yeah, they, I guess they did. <laughs> yeah, it's Giles. Or maybe in Hush they say that his girlfriend drew them. Olivia? Is that her name? I think he drew them. I can't remember. They literally don't say anything. Gosh, Olivia was so unimportant in the grand scheme of things, wasn't she? She was the kind of woman that he wanted to want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she really only served the purpose of, like, him wanting to have a private life. And it was hard because his apartment was headquarters that season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if only it had been this season where there's plenty of room for an extra woman in the house. It's unclear where he's staying still. Giles is very upset to hear that Buffy has a date. They're all in mortal danger, he shouts as Andrew lurks behind them. Meanwhile, Principal Wood is leading Buffy to a dark, romantic alley. He insists there's like a great restaurant somewhere back here. But it's got some big betrayal trap vibes. Uh Uh-huh. I was trying to figure out what she's wearing. She's got like this lace cape. I can't tell if it's part of her jacket or part of whatever she's wearing under the jacket. I don't think we ever fully see it. It's cool. Mm Mm-hmm. They're very quickly attacked by several vampires. I think we need to talk about something weird in this scene. There's a vampire who is another tall, bald black man. Yeah. Who's wearing a not totally different outfit than Principal Wood. It's not the same. And she very much like kills him in focus. Yeah. But we don't see his face that well. Because it's dusting. Yeah. Principal Wood like fights some vampires a little bit to the side, like off screen, so we don't see him. So it kind of looks like he just turned into a vampire and she kills him. Yeah. Which for was like a minute. I almost think it's intentional to like really confuse us or throw us off. I don't to know. To make us think he's a vampire, yeah. But I'm also pretty sure we've seen him outside in the first episode. Right. Maybe he's got the gem of Amara. I never suspected he was a vampire. So I don't know if that was, was intentional or just like a mistake. But they just like so prominently featured this vampire with like a similar build and face to him. Mm-hmm. Weird choice at the very least. Yeah. Because we, like, don't see him for, like, a minute. She's, like, fighting and they don't show him. So she's done with the vampires. And then she yells at Principal Wood for leading her into a trap. So now we know he wasn't the vampire. But she notices that he's going pretty hard on some vampires himself. He's got his own stake. He's, like, flipping it around. What's going on? Is he a slayer? Stacy asks. (laughs) Yeah, you kept asking, like, is he a slayer? Kinda. (laughs) He helps Buffy up and says, I guess we should talk. Buffy's very confused. Meanwhile, Xander's date is going well, you know, talking about how he left his ex at the altar as is recommended on a first date. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how did that. we get here, Xander? <laughs> this is not a first date topic. But she fucking loves it and suggests they go somewhere a little more she fun. She is hopped up on that red eye. <laughs> Buffy and Principal Wood go to dinner. It turns out this restaurant does exist. He says this isn't the first vampire he's killed. He knows Buffy's a slayer. He admits he maneuvered himself and her into this high school position near the Hellmouth intentionally because he knows something bad is happening. She's like, oh, so you didn't hire me for my counseling skills? And he laughs just the same way Willow did. (laughs) That one's really funny. Well, he's offended. 
He says he didn't tell her because he wasn't sure if he was ready to jump into the fight yet. Do you think that's true? Like, was he gonna tell her tonight if he wasn't outed by the random vampire attack? I don't know. I feel like maybe. Maybe not tonight, but soon. I feel like this was his chance to finally, like, get to know her and probably feel out whether or not he can tell her. It's still kind of unclear if he's actually into her. I think he must be. Or he's, like, using her for some reason. Like, using the romantic angle. I think he's. I think he finds her very attractive, probably. But he didn't, like, mean for this to happen. Right. He's probably, like, there because she's the slayer and, like, knows that she needs to be part of the fight. But, like, also, it's Sarah Michelle Gellar. So he's like, you are super hot, though, so. And she says she thinks he's hot. It's just, like, this weird thing, though, of, like, unless you guys are, like, we are perfect for each other, we should date. Like, it doesn't seem like it's time to date if, like, your prime goal is to stop this evil thing. Like, maybe just work together and see if you live, you know? Okay, Giles. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> neither of them are, like, 100% sure. I don't know. It seems silly. Because it's so businessy, their yeah. relationship. Like, I would be on board for her dating someone if it wasn't also someone that was, like, fighting for this cause. I don't know. Yeah. That never goes well. Her intertwining her work and love life. Mm-hmm. She asks him how he knows about Slayers, and turns out his mom was a Slayer and was killed by a vampire when he was four. Hmm. So she was probably the Subway Slayer that Spike killed in Fool for Love. When you say Subway Slayer, it, it, she's not defined by the Subway, but that is where she died. That's literally the only thing we know about her. <laughs> she had a cool jacket. That's true. <laughs> you can call it the Jacket Slayer. <laughs> this actually isn't revealed until the end of the episode that it was Spike, but I thought it was obvious. Was it supposed to be a shock at the end of the episode? I don't know. I think it was supposed to be a shock that like he finds out, because he would have no way of knowing that Spike. He wouldn't know right. what Spike looked like. Right, right. But like, I feel like Buffy should almost start to put together. Yes, you'd think Buffy would know. I don't know that Buffy knew that the woman from that story was black, but like we did. So she's a black slayer from the 70s, which is like exactly when this guy would have been four. Yeah. I, I feel like for the audience, it was obvious. I would at least be like, there's a chance Spike killed your mom. Like, at least mm-hmm. be like, he, he's killed one recently, and that kind of adds up. Even if she can't do the math in her head, like, it could very well be your mom. So basically now he's on a mission to kill all vampires, figuring sooner or later he'll kill the one that got his mother. Buffy's very curious what a Slayer having a baby looks like. Like, she wonders if he has powers because of, you know, passing any of that on. Right. And he's like, no, that's only uh, vampire children that have powers. <laughs> He says he doesn't, but he does have a few skills because his mother's watcher like took him in and raised him. But I think now he also kind of makes clear that this is a date. Back at the Summy Res, Andrew is showing Jonathan the gun he's located in Buffy's underwear drawer, and he's very impressed with her selection of underwear. Jonathan's running him through the plan. Andrew wonders why Spike can't just kill the girls since he's got that trigger. And Jonathan says it's not time for Spike yet. Hmm. Andrew just kind of casually asked Jonathan the first if he has any weaknesses. Also, like, what's our plan for killing Buffy? Yeah, he asks for weaknesses. He's obviously fishing at this point. Yes. But he's all like, what are your weaknesses? Just so, you know, I know to, you know, help. Yeah. And Jonathan's like, what is this now? Are you wearing a wire? He is. Willow and the <laughs> girls are listening in in the basement. It seems like the wire does pick up Jonathan, but I wouldn't assume that it would. But I guess they I don't think try. it was picking up Jonathan. Willow seems to react when he asks if. He's wearing a wire, though. Oh, maybe. I, I almost wonder if Jonathan didn't say that line out loud. Sure. Because he knew there was a wire. Yeah, because he eventually kind of, like, broadcasts to the whole house, mm-hmm. not over the wire. But the first doesn't like that Andrew's wearing a wire. He reminds Andrew what he did, you know, bad, bad thing, killing his friend. 
And then he kind of makes himself look bloody and dead. Yeah. Andrew's like, stop looking like Jonathan. I'm good now. And when we beat the first, I'll pay for killing Jonathan. So it, it seems like he really is like redeemed and understands he did a bad thing. I think that's what we're supposed to get is that he wants to do the time because he mm-hmm. did the crime. And Jonathan's like, oh, you're going to pay for more than that because we're very mad at you. And then, like I said, he broadcasts himself to everyone in the house looking even more zombie now, saying they only hear and see what he wants them to. And there's going to be so many dead girls. And then he old timey TV zaps himself out of there. <laughs> you mean he becomes like down to like a little point? Yeah. Yeah. He always does that. Meanwhile, Xander's date has taken a turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has. I would, I would agree. She's got him all set up on the bleeding device using the ropes he helped her pick out over the symbol in the school basement where they bled Spike to summon the Torakon. She's a demon. She just is. <laughs> He's like, there's got to be a reason this keeps happening to me. Is there? Are we going to no, find that out? Or is there's just not. a bit. <laughs> just a bit. It is funny, though. So we had Inca Mummy Girl. We had the Praying Mantis. We have Anya. Kendra's a slayer. But she's supernatural. Maybe that counts. But also Cordelia was into him. And, and she's a demon now. She's a demon now. So maybe <laughs> it was just like, it, it was always there. Like the powers that be were like, you're going to be a demon. We know what you're going to want. Willow was into him and she went evil. Faith, another slayer. Yeah. Well, back at the Summy Res, Willow is telling Giles and Spike what happened with the wire and the Jonathan. And the Jonathan. <laughs> Where were they during all of this? Like, they were in the basement with the wire machine where Spike chains himself when Buffy isn't around. Yeah. Did Giles have a date too? Like, where was he? <laughs> I like the idea that Giles was like, well, if everyone else is having a date, I'm having one too. <laughs> it's very Puts unclear where he goes. Puts his earring in and just goes out. <laughs> it's very unclear where he goes when he doesn't have lines. They're like, what were you guys thinking? That was pretty dumb. Now the first is pissed at us. How do you, I mean, the first has already said my plan is to kill y'all. Yeah. I, I don't know, like, oh, you made it mad. <laughs> oh no, it's going to kill you worse now. Andrew tells them what it said about it not being time for Spike yet. And Giles is like, I roll. Oh my God, I'm not happy about this. <laughs> this whole time, Don is pulling tape off of Andrew's chest. That's pretty funny. Him and Don get paired up a lot. And the relationship's kind of cute. Yeah. He says he's frightened and his chest hurts where the tape was. <laughs> she tells him that it's okay. He did a good job. And it's pretty cool that he stood up to the first like that. And he's like, thank you. You're a peach. <laughs> Giles is like, this is ridiculous. There's a gun in the house. Everyone's on a date. Get Buffy back here now. Willow's going to call her, but then she gets a text from Xander with one of their codes. This is this doesn't make sense. <laughs> they, they set up a series of codes that mean various SOS or non-SOS things. Yeah, one of the codes is like, I'm banging somebody, leave me alone, which is like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Why would, okay. You can ignore your phone. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah. I know we're in the middle of coitus, but I'm just, I'm getting a phone call right now, so. She can't remember what this one means. They've had phones for like four months, you know? Like, how long has it been since they came up with this system? I also feel like if you could just text, what, like, hey, I'm with a girl right now. Yeah. Or, hey, I'm with a demon right now. Like, who's like monitoring your phone that you got to put a code out? I get why you'd maybe want a demon code, but. Also, how is he texting this? He is tied up. That's the up. question. He's tied up. How is he sending texts? Maybe like when he got to the basement before she tied him up, he had time to send a quick number code or whatever. In right. His pocket. From his pocket. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Maybe. So yeah, the signal, as we said, means he's either doing great or a demon's trying to kill him. They correctly assume the odds are it's the latter. It was also fun callback to the Mantis one because he's like, uh, he's probably getting his head eaten off. <laughs> 
Yeah, Giles says something about that. They realize Buffy didn't take her phone with her. That's like not the first time she hasn't even taken it. Why even have one? It's so helpful. Yeah, I know. It's insane. I can't imagine leaving without a cell phone and I'm not the slayer. (laughs) They're just not used to having to write in the convenience of cell phones into the plot. I think that's the truth. Keep making her not have it. Spike's like, I'll go find her. I've been meaning to find a reason to break up her date anyway. (laughs) Buffy's in the middle of just really digging her boss, feeding her brandy-soaked pears. When (laughs) (laughs) It's so awkward to feed someone. Like, it's never sexy. You've said that. It's just like a whole ass pear. She's got to try to get her mouth around like she's a fish on a hook. Just, I accidentally paused it at that spot. It's just like, it's not cute for anyone. <laughs> Spike appears, just kind of looming over the table during this, telling him Xander's in trouble. And then the three of them share a super awkward car ride where there's actually a bit of a mistake. Principal Wood seems very suspicious of Spike. Could be jealous romantic feelings, but I don't think he suspects he's a vampire at this point. However, he does keep glancing at him in the rearview mirror, which should provide a pretty big red flag because he wouldn't be in the mirror. Yeah, that scene is insane. It's like he's in the back talking to him and he's like trying to be like, "Uh, yeah, I'm just a guy. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about the fact that I am not in your rearview at all. (laughs) So you and I were kind of like, oh, he must think he's a vampire. And he's like sort of trying to get Buffy to tell him that. But meanwhile, Xander's situation hasn't improved. (laughs) (laughs) Did you think it was going to get better? (laughs) You know, I really liked your choice of drink earlier, (laughs) so I'd like to keep you alive for more recommendations. He's telling the lady she doesn't understand. There's like an ancient evil vampire creature who's going to come out of this hole if she does this. She's like, oh, I know. I'm evil and I super want that. So she shoves a knife into his tummy. He starts bleeding. Buffy eventually busts in and her and Spike start fighting Xander's date. And like we said, maybe Principal Wood was like playing coy, waiting for Buffy Mm -hmm. to tell him that he's a vampire. But no, Spike goes vampire. Woods sees it and he's like, oh, he's a vampire. (laughs) So he's clearly just realizing it now. This explains why he wasn't in the rearview mirror. (laughs) Principal Wood cuts Xander down, but the seal is starting to open. A hand pops out, grabbing his ankle. Then it just closes, chopping the hand off. It closed because the blood stopped flowing, I guess? I think so, yeah. It's very unclear how the seal works. I think it's pretty clear. You need a bunch of ass blood on there. Not ass blood. It could be from anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. You need a bunch of blood. Jonathan filled it with, like, all of his blood the first time, and it didn't open. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was... And now Xander's only blood enough to not be in any danger of having to go to the hospital or anything, and it started to open? Maybe it got lubed up that first time it opened, and it doesn't take quite as much blood anymore. Okay. Sure. And who knows? Maybe Xander's blood is special. That's why demons love it so much. They're like mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Buffy eventually chops off the demon's head and then goes to check on Spike to make sure he's okay in a very loving way, which Principal Wood clocks. Honestly, though, Spike will be fine, Buffy. Go check on Xander. Yeah, I know, right? She eventually does, and Xander's like, so how's your day going? Which is a very uncomfortable question for everyone. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about how little effort they put into Ashanti's demon design? She's just Ashanti, but they, like, make her eyes glow. That's it. That's all they do. She, like, takes off a layer of clothes after the date, I think. She's, like, in more of a skimpy skirt and top for the bleeding business. Yeah, that's it. It just seems like, really, you couldn't have done more? It just looks so fake and, like, like what kind of demon? Can we get a little bit more information about this demon? Yeah, she just said she's, like, choosing a side because she heard bad stuff's coming. It would be cool if this was a demon we had seen before. Not the same demon, like just a demon type we had seen before. Yeah, yeah. 
because it's just like, yeah, random demon, which I guess is sort of fine. We get random demons a lot, but like, it just feels like what were her powers? She's strong. She looks like a woman. That's it. I don't she know, did just... seem strong. It was kind of yeah. hard to beat her. You're so right about her checking on Spike. If Spike is still there and he's not dust, go check on Xander. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's going to be fine. So it's like 2 a.m. Everyone at the Summy Res is worried that Buffy and Xander aren't back yet. Anya's having complicated feelings about Xander this whole episode. Yeah. I'd say she doesn't want him to die, but wouldn't mind if he got a little bit hurt. Right. So she got what she wanted. Yeah. Giles has prepared himself a glass of warm milk. Chow An comes downstairs asking if the flashcard monsters are attacking. He offers her his milk to help her sleep. And she's like, you're trying to kill me. It's funny. But Xander, Buffy, and Spike return. Xander's decided he's going to turn gay. He's like, come on, Willow. Gay me up. Willow's like, <laughs> what? And then Xander starts by mentally undressing Scott Bakula, which Andrew seems to think isn't a bad idea. Buffy makes a joke that Xander will just start attracting male demons. They're all having fun with this, making jokes. And Giles has reached his wit's end. He yeah. yells at them that there isn't time for funny games and quips about orientations. I really like that line. There's no time for quips about orientation. <laughs> he says it's time to get serious. Girls are going to die. We may die. Like, there's some separate higher power than girls. <laughs> some of which are there. Giles means business. Later, Buffy's sitting on the couch, like a shamed little puppy dog, just like Giles wanted. Oh, not a shamed little puffy duck? Because that's what you said, but then edited it out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Later, Buffy's sitting on the couch, like a shamed little puffy dog. Like the sh- Like a shamed little puffy duck. <laughs> She's sitting there like a shamed puffy duck. I said dog every time. Just it, clear, I don't know. She was puffy. Subscribe to our Patreon for more outtakes. Spike comes in to talk to Buffy. He tells her about how the first told Andrew that it has a future plan for Spike. So he suggests he leave town, get away from her and the girls before the first tries to use him again. Buffy's like, no, you have to stay. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> get so the fuck sorry. out. I'm so sorry. Puffy. Buffy's like, no, you have to stay. I'm not ready for you to not be here yet. Validating what Giles said earlier in the episode when he's like, you guys are dependent on each other in like a not so healthy way that you're going to make decisions that aren't ideal because you depend on him and he depends on you. And then in this scene, she's all like, you can't leave because I depend on you. You're the guy I want to want. I mean, I feel like she's it's tough. I almost like she feels like she does want him, but she doesn't want to want him. Yeah. OK, so Spike asks how the principal fits into all this. And Buffy doesn't really have an answer. So I think he's like, do you like me or not? Like, what's going on? Their relationship is so messy and complicated because she's almost mm -hmm. kind of like, she's like not saying she wants to date him. But she's like, I want to keep you around <laughs> in case I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think she also wants to keep him around because she needs someone who can fight. Yeah, but it's clearly more than that. Absolutely. But I, I wouldn't say that that's not somewhat significant. But like she knows he'll stay if she gives him those puffy dog eyes. <laughs> she gives him those chin chin eyes. I do think that she wants him to stay because she's emotionally attached to him and needs she needs that from him. Mm -hmm. At Principal Wood's house? I guess he doesn't live at the school. <laughs> Maybe this is an apartment above the school, like Luke's above the mm -hmm. diner. His mother appears to him while he's getting ready for bed. He's like, hey, what's up, mom? I know you're the first. Nice to meet you, but uh, not really interested in your bullshit. She's like, okay, well, Spike's the one that killed your mother. How about that? That was a fun summary, but I actually feel like this scene is, I, I kind of like the way the dialogue goes, because he's all very dismissive of the first, like, whatever, I don't want to hear your lies, and the first is like, okay, well, I'm just going to tell you something, it's not a lie, do with 
that information, what you want. She tells him Spike is the one that killed his mom. And you could tell that he knows immediately like that. That is true. Yeah. And then she's like, what do you say? And he's like, thank you, mommy. Okay. He doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, mommy. No, he doesn't say it that way. But I I liked it, though, because he did want that information. Yeah, yeah. No, he says thank you, like, in a sincere way. Like, yeah, I don't want you to be here. I know that you're the first, and I don't want to side with you, but, like, I appreciate that information. Thank you very much, the first. That was helpful. I will be trying to kill Spike now. Bye. (laughs) Thank you, Mommy. No, I agree. It was was a cool scene. And great, like, twist, because you're like, ooh, what is going to happen next? The drama is swirling. Oh, there's a triangle of Bruin. Yeah. But I feel like he doesn't, like, care about Buffy enough to not just go kill Spike, you know? like. Well, I feel like he probably wants to know more about what's going on with this whole Spike thing. But, like, at the end of the day, yeah, he's going to kill Spike. Yeah. Like, Xander's always down to kill Spike. But I think he respects Buffy enough to not. Or I don't think Principal Wood has that years of relationship with Buffy. I mean, he would have to know that Spike isn't the same person that killed his mother. And, like, it takes a lot of convincing to be like, oh, yeah, he's changed now, you know? Mm-hmm. So I I think he's pretty DTK, Spike. Especially with the romance layer in there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Juicy. Okay, Brian. Was this a good episode? Um, I don't... It wasn't a terrible episode, but it wasn't a great episode. I like that we got some plot moving forward, right? I like the stuff with Principal Wood being like, here's my deal. I love that he's connected to a Slayer we know. I love the drama of it's the Slayer that got killed by Spike, and now he's got this, like, vendetta against Spike. I was like, this is some juicy, good drama. It was also nice to finally figure out what's going on with the mayor. We figured out what was going on with the mayor a while ago, Brian. (laughs) I'm glad we finally figured out what was going on with this principal. Yeah, I expected it to be later since he, like, said one time, I like mystery and figuring out at the end. I'm like, god damn it, episode 20. (laughs) And I liked Giles being like, guys, like, this is real. Like, can we, we need to focus. This isn't season two, guys. We can make jokes. We got to <laughs> deal with this. But I thought the whole storyline with Xander was just so like, like they scribbled that on a napkin. And they were like, yeah, like a, a demon will get someone kind of famous. And uh, no makeup will just like make their eyes a little different. And they, uh, it's a funny joke because he's the demon magnet. And the joke's a little funny, but it just didn't do it for me. His flirting, I didn't find charming. Yeah, it's almost sort of like Gilmore Girls in that, like, the reveal at the end and everything with, like, that storyline was interesting. But then there's, like, the other stuff was really not that great. Yeah, I would say it's very similar to the Gilmore one. And it is similar. We had the, like, the weird flirting, the, like, maybe dating a teacher kind of thing. The beast emerging. The beast emerging. Rory said something something about a beast emerging from her when she was flirting with the guy. And there's a. Yeah, she's telling Logan, like, this beast just emerged out of me. There's a beast emerging from the ground in this one. Yeah. But I don't think it was a great episode. Specifically, the beginning was so messy with Spike's justification for, like, tackling Giles. And then also, it's messy when Spike is in the back of that car. Like, obviously, he's not in the rear view. Like, that's probably something Principal Wood would just check on reflex if he's a vampire killer. Yeah. So I'm not in love with this episode, but I liked things about it. Okay, so which one do we think was better? Um, I think it was Buffy for me. Yeah? It's hard, though. I think I was left with a feeling of like, oh, shit, we're setting up some stuff at the end of Buffy. Yeah. And I really love that scene with Laura and Christopher at the end. It's so sad, but I think like overall I enjoyed more of the Buffy episode. I agree. And we've said this already, but the, the last part of Gilmore Girls really was fantastic. But mm-hmm. the rest of it was 
funny here and there, but at the end of the day, I wasn't in love with it. And Buffy was very sloppy, but it was funny too. I liked it. I liked all the stuff we're setting up. Are you going Buffy as well? Yes. It's a hard one though. It is, yeah. They're both very strong, but have some weak points. Yes. Well, if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 7, Episode 15, Get It Done. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 15, I Am Kayak, Hear Me Roar. Okay, weird name. Cool. Glad to... Is Jess in that one? Is that a reference to Jess? Probably no, it's not. a reference to this Buffy, where a kayak was mentioned. <laughs> oh, that's right. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Rory should have said any of that to Logan? Where does Giles go when he's not talking to Buffy? What's your favorite chin-chin memory? Do you think Lorelai and Christopher could have worked it out? Do you think Andrew is redeemed in your eyes? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches, and more. Or you can email us at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Lexi Ledeau and Paige. Thank you so much. You think that's Paige from Charmed? Yes. For more non-podcast content, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming podcast. All right. You want to eat the rest of your grapes now? I'm going to eat the hell out of these grapes. This <laughs> is not a sentence anyone's ever said before. I'm going to eat them like I'm a fluffy duck. Well, let's hope I keep those bloopers in so people know what we're referencing. <laughs> All right. We have to go. Godzilla's outside and it is not safe. Bye. Bye. Where are we going? Wherever Giles goes. It's safe in a way. 